Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. This is Chuck Warner. I'm the editor-in-chief with Cannabis and Tech Today, and I'm here with a very special guest on this episode. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Day, and we are going to have a fun chat. We're going to talk about international cannabis. We're going to talk about his global network of uh, cannabis organizations that we have together. We're going to talk a little bit about events. And just to give you guys a little bit of background on Chris, um, he is first and foremost, the co-founder of Project Evolve, which is a, according to my notes, a marketing and communications think tank built to drive innovation and inspire thoughtful solutions to challenging business and societal problems. That is a freaking awesome mission. He is also the co-founder of the Global Cannabis Network Collective, which is a closed network of international cannabis industry professionals working to expand the global marketplace through sound business practices, legally compliant products, innovative research, and a passion for building emerging markets. And the GCNC is a division of Project Evolve. Did I get that right, Chris? That is correct. There's well, some um, announcements that will be coming over the coming weeks that will slightly change that, but all of the substance is correct. So I'm going to tease some announcements we've got coming out soon. I you. love it. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. I feel like you are one of the, you know, I wasn't, wasn't just using hyperbole. Like you're one of the real good guys in the industry, oh, but you, you also, you've got your, your hands and your, your finger on the pulse of some really important areas of cannabis. And I think that, uh, you know, the fact that everything that you're doing with Project Evolve and the GCNC is some really, really important work. Um, it's just kind of an area that I think that maybe was overlooked by a lot of people. I mean, can you just let our audience know kind of sort of why the GCNC exists and what the, you know, kind of sure. the purpose of that is? Yeah, it's, it's interesting um, because obviously the people in these different global markets um, aren't overlooking them. But when you're sitting in the United States, um, we have a tendency to be very U.S.-centric or at the very best North America-centric. And um, as I was working for the last um, four and a half years, uh, over at uh, MJ Biz previously to, to founding Project Evolve, you know, I noticed a lot of opportunity to continue the, the international discussion. And so I wanted to really create a space where um, we could delve into the expansion of the global markets, um, being sort of nationality agnostic and following the opportunities. Uh, and so when my co-founder, Jill Reddish, and I uh, spun off and, and founded the Global Cannabis Network Collective, it really was on a mission to bring together uh, senior level executives from global cannabis companies looking to expand multinationally uh, around the world throughout the entire supply chain. And we've had a lot of success. I mean, there's been a great interest there. Um, Latin America and Europe are definitely our two most popular spots that people ask about. But, you know, we've also got members in Africa and Asia. Uh, there's been some great movement in Australia. 
So it's been a fun ride. I've always sort of been a student of the world anyway. Uh, so being able to, to pursue these goals and help companies build them uh, has been very rewarding. And, and are, are, is your guys' mission, because it seems like there's always kind of two sides of the coin and they, they do intersect quite a bit. You've got, you know, kind of the holistic, the, uh, you know, the side of cannabis that is about, you know, bringing people together and health and wellness. And, you know, you've got that side. And then, of course, there's the business side of it where there's a lot of business being done and a lot to be done. Um, are, are you guys on both sides of that? Do you feel yeah. like it's a- Well, I think a- that's, frankly, if you're in business, you should be on both sides of those. Yeah. Whether you're referring to it as conscious capitalism, or I use this notion of ROI squared, which is return on investment and impact. So this notion that when you're building a company, all things considered, you want to be contributing back to the communities that you're operating in and doing good things, providing products that help people, um, as well as, of course, making money. Um, and we we take both of those sides very seriously. So there's it's really hard to positively impact the world if you're going broke. And yes. um, it's not very cool to make a bunch of money, but, you know, leave uh, chaos in your wake. So we try and encourage businesses to do that. And we've found the GCNC tends to attract um, these types of like-minded entities and they're doing very well because they are responsible in how they behave and how they analyze business opportunities and how they construct products. It is cannabis is a really unique industry in that it is the intersection of kind of both of those things. Um, do you find it's the same thing on the international scene as well? Like, like pretty much overall? Um, I, I actually have found that it's a little bit more uh, balanced than it is in, in the United States in particular. Um, and, and I think that has to do with a lot of the cultural backgrounds that exist in these different nations. Uh, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying there are different cultural aspects to business. Um, and the way in which people interact in these industries. And of course, in any place you go, you can always find an exception to whatever I just said. So um, I, I do think that, you know, if you look at these companies that are building around ESG motivations, looking at the UN Sustainable Development Goals, really building corporate social responsibility programs into their ethos, um, that level of prominence just at the root of the business um, as part of the establishing foundation tends to be uh, more frequent than in the United States, where I think we frequently build the thing and then try to put the ESG or the corporate social responsibility programs on top. Um, I, I certainly spend a lot of time trying to encourage companies to do it the other way, just build it integrally into everything yeah. you do so like like a foundation yeah absolutely not, not just the shingles like let's build it on the foundation of this and then you've got something that's you know more sustainable yeah and and then you you know you grow your you you grow your crops um more responsibly from the beginning it's not a question of whether you're going to do it you you pay attention to energy use in your facilities from day one you look at how you're hiring and how you retain employees and that atmosphere within the company from day one. Uh, and, you know, how is this product going to interact 
uh, within the body when somebody consumes it. And can you feel proud of that? (laughs) Or are you like, hey, I made a buck. Um, Hopefully, you know, you combine them and you say, I'm proud of it and it's profitable. Um, How do you guys select your advisory members for the, uh, the GCNC? Oh, man. Yeah. For folks who aren't aware of um, the Global Cannabis Network Collective, one of the things I am truly most proud of is our international advisory board. And if people go to alwaysdriveinnovation.com forward slash cannabis, click on the advisory board link, you're going to see some um, great names, really wonderful professionals from around the world. And when we originally constructed that board, it was built on a couple of different uh, pillars. One was making sure that we had global representation of the markets that have already legal or emerging uh, cannabis industry opportunities. Two, they needed to be people that had proven themselves um, as being more than competent in the industry, having um, you know true influence and knowledge that could be shared with our members, had a willingness to participate and share such knowledge, um, and you know of course they could reasonably be expected to advise us yeah. on um, who who would make sense when we're trying to fill up speaking slot or you know if we're a little bit off in some of our programming why and how do we fix it. Um, neither Jill nor I ever believe we are the end all and be all of cannabis knowledge, quite far from that. Um, but we want to find the best experts in the world to help grow the industry. And so they are, uh, many of those in their respective parts of the globe. Yeah, it's important. You have a really strong board. It gives you, gives you credibility. It makes sure that, you know, like you said, it's not a, you know, two person show, you really are tapping into all the experiences and knowledge and, and passions of all those people. So yeah, kudos to you. I've, I've, I've met and and been on, you know, these zooms and it's a really, really cool organization. It's a great group of people you've got. Thank you. Yeah. And one other thing I should point out, um, the GCNC is, is meant to be collaborative, right? So mm-hmm. our members, yes, they benefit and they, they get um, knowledge and information and uh, consulting, but they also give it, right? It, that's the whole point of building a network is that it really becomes a community of interactivity. And we kept it closed because um, those who are members are senior level executives in their company. They can pull the triggers on deals. They are the ones who... Um, you know, can make decisions and really have an impact on the global supply chain. Um, and, and so I think, I think that's what really gives it the value uh, beyond just, of course, the programming and the discounts for events and all those other kinds of benefits that are in there. It's who you hang out with that makes the difference. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. So let me ask you, from where you sit, which markets internationally seem to be leading the way in defining a global cannabis marketplace? Um, well, it's interesting because it's in stages. You know, if if we're looking at the U.S., mm-hmm. um, and that's not my answer, by the way, um, but if we're looking at the U.S. and the way in which states evolve, 
right? There's, there's trends that you can see. It's almost predictable what's going to happen in a newly legalized state. Um, that also happens at country levels and continental levels. So um, certainly you have to look to Europe as a, um, a global leader in evaluating medicinal cannabis in, in particular, um, high quality uh, production certifications, the, the efforts behind EU GMP certifications and ensuring that the products that people consume in the medicinal space there are indeed what's on the bottle. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very pragmatic approach. It takes mm -hmm. a long time. Um, and the whole profitability aspect takes a long time there. But if you do it right and well, the, the market there is um, sizable. And uh, they're certainly not floating around nearly as much propaganda as we see in North America. There's a lot of great research happening, a lot of um, sort of smart business development happening. So I like Europe. Um, there's also a breadth of selection between emerging and mature markets, right? Everybody looks to Germany, but there's a lot of other um, nations. France is, you know, partway through its trial now. Italy is starting to move a little bit. Uh, Malta's doing some interesting things. Um, so you can look to that. And then we've also got South America, which if you look at the, the history of South America in agriculture, I think we're going to see at some point South America and Latin America, inclusive of Mexico at some point, um, really being a global leader in cultivation. Mm. Now, how that plays out, you know, we'll have to see Colombia has taken a while, but it is now definitely moving. I mean, they just um, recently passed uh, a law that allows them to export flour, which oh. came a long way. Um, of course, some of the media outlets out there have poo-pooed that because they've all come in and said, yeah, but where are they going to send it? It's so limited. And I think they're missing the point, right? The point is not exactly what can you do with it today. It's being able to look ahead more than five minutes and saying, what are you going to be doing in the um, future? And, and so that move in Colombia is a really big move. And I think it's going to help other countries see the opportunities there. So South America and Europe, I think, are the big ones. Um, I think in the coming years, watching how Africa develops is going to be really interesting. It's not there yet, um, but there's a lot of movement in sub-Saharan Africa in particular worth keeping an eye on. What about countries we never hear of with cannabis? You know, like, are there any kind of kind of off the wall places where there's been any sort of movement, you know, like, I don't know, Russia or, you know, like any places here or you well, know, some still just sitting on the sidelines. I mean, I think you everybody will, wants to get in the game, right? Charles, you will never hear me call any country anywhere an off the wall place. Yeah. Um, I mean, frankly, our own nation has taken the cake for being an off the wall place for the last several <laughs> years, um, in my personal opinion. So, um, you know, there are, there are lots of different cultures and different, uh -huh. um, uh, modes of operating. I think places that people haven't in North America, haven't spent a lot of time thinking about mm -hmm. would be, um, places like, uh, Northern Macedonia for example, and what's going on there. Um, I've 
talked a lot about Malta over the last year and a half because I see what they're doing at the governmental level, but I also know that when I went to a conference there in 2019, I was one of maybe three North Americans in the, in the room, um, which leads me to believe people don't understand that nation's importance as a connector between the EU and Africa and why their government has been so supportive of getting people to set up um, headquarters there in cannabis uh, even though it's a small place, so it doesn't really work as a large cultivation producer or something. But um, there's some interesting moves there that I just find very intriguing. Um, and of course, you know, the Caribbean, um, I think people are familiar with the history of cannabis in the Caribbean. Sure. But what some people are doing there in terms of holistic plant medicine, which is inclusive of not only cannabis, but also the psychedelics movement and the fact that they can do much better research down there um, in some of these areas is also interesting and often missed. So, um, you know, the I think the big sort of black box that a lot of people are trying to figure out is Asia. I was just uh, going to ask you about that. Yeah, there is significant movement within mm -hmm. countries there, uh, but not a lot of outward engagement with the rest of the world. Um, the GCNC has a couple of members out of India uh, mm -hmm. now, which is interesting because uh, I did a, I, I've got a podcast as well called the International Cannabis Conversation. And, and we were talking to a CEO um, of Hemp Street, Abhishek Mohan, uh, out of India. And we started out referencing India as an emerging market. The, the laughable thing about that, of course, is that cannabis has been a part of their culture for 3,000 plus years. So how we define what's going on um, is all a matter of perspective, right? Yeah. But India, with its enormous population, um, even with some of the cultural issues are, around it, it, is going to be a huge player. And and do those international markets, yeah, that, that makes sense. Do those international markets segregate it like we do over here with medical and rec, or is it more, you know, bundled? I feel like we have kind of an awkward way of, of doing it, and it's state by state, and, you know, some states kind of tolerate it, others embrace it, and yeah. it just seems like there's a... Um, I don't know, they, like, like we've really tried to segregate it. And I'm just curious, is the is it segregated the same way mostly over, over uh, internationally or? The, the United States has been really good at figuring ways to segregate things for a long time, yeah. right? Um, so the, the truth is the discussions are similar in terms of how people are using it. The global conversation is primarily dominated around medicinal use of cannabis. We would describe it as medicinal use of cannabis. Okay. Every, every country is slightly different in how they regulate that, how they talk about it. Um, you know, if I, if I talk to most of the folks in the European markets about what is the cannabis space, they will almost always talk about how it's just a medicinal product. Mm -hmm. However, many nations are moving in directions that will make that not true very, very soon. Um, 
And, and so it's not as rooted in politics in that discussion in these other countries as we are here, but sort of the, the practical uh, pragmatism behind it still exists, right? Do we want to allow people to grow this at home? Do we want to allow them to consume it without a prescription or without talking to a doctor? Do we care very much about that really culturally or not? Um, most of the complications are rooted in, you know, American culture having dominated, made this conversation really, really awkward for over a hundred years. And so now people are trying to come out of their shells again and say, how do I have a conversation um, where people aren't going to judge me? Right. Yeah. Like talking about sex in public. How yeah. do you right? for a lot of people? It's really awkward. And for others, it's like, yeah, sure. We all yeah. do it. So I, um, I, I do think it, the answer, the simple answer is it depends yeah. still there, but uh, it's continuing to mature and be less of an issue. I love it. And that is an amazing segue for what I want to talk about. As soon as we get back, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break and uh, we'll be back here with Chris Day, the GCNC Project Evolve. And when we come back, I want to talk about what is the U.S. and Canada's role when it comes to the global landscape? So you, you teed me up perfectly. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back. Simple to use, easy to clean, incredibly precise. Introducing the first packaging and weighing system designed specifically for the cannabis industry. One that gives you more control, consistency, and a better product. The Green Vault System Precision Batcher is designed to offer you the flexibility to switch your packaging options seamlessly. This innovative packaging technology uses gentle puffs of air, also known as air cush technology, to move product rather than vibration. The process aids in the preservation of trichomes on your flower, leading to a higher end potency, better market price, and a customer experience that lives up to your brand's high standards. Technology unlike any other, built for an industry unlike any other. Instead of repurposing technology from other industries, Green Vault Systems engineered their integrated packaging and weighing system for the unique characteristics and demands of cannabis. It's built to help grow your business from the ground up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cannabis Tech Talks. You are chopping it up with Chuck. We're here with Chris Day. And um, yeah, Chris, what is the U.S. and Canada's role when it comes to the global landscape? You know, we're, we're kind of leaders, but again, we're also we're, we're kind of mucking it up over here. And, you know, just uh, just curious, what how do you, how do you think that we play a role in leading the global landscape? Yeah, it's a complicated question. Um, we used to be leaders in the United States uh, in this space. I think there are still leaders in individual states. So um, if you're listening, don't be offended. I didn't just insult our entire country. Um, I think we have lost the opportunity at the moment to be leaders in the global cannabis market. And until we legalize at the federal level in a way that makes any kind of rational sense, um, we're, we're just gonna be chasing the market forever. Um, and the longer we wait, the harder it will be because the globe is figuring it out and they will create a market with or without us. It, it's already done. It's just a matter of how big will it become and what will our role in it be? Um, 
So I do think, however, uh, we still have an enormous amount of influence and opportunity around um, the deployment of capital worldwide mm -hmm. in building smart businesses and helping to champion that. There's plenty of really savvy uh, venture capitalists, investment firms, um, you know, opportunities for brands that are built here in the United States to travel globally, even if the product can't. So there still is a great amount that we can do and help yeah. uh, to build a, a global and responsible uh, international marketplace. Canada is um, interesting to me in particular, because I've got a, a number of members up there. Um, and, you know, we had that first wave uh, that came out of uh, Canadian investment into the, into the world um, when, they, when they really pushed on their national legalization program. And I think, you know, that, that created the opportunity for a lot of what we're seeing now in the second wave where maybe some of those investment dollars that went out weren't deployed uh, as responsibly as some of those publicly traded companies boards would have liked. But in doing so, they created a lot of assets now that are giving that second wave of businesses worldwide the opportunity to build on top of that. We just saw a very similar pattern uh, in the late 90s with the, with the tech boom, right? Whole bunch, of, that. Yeah. whole bunch of capital got poured into it. A lot of it got "quote unquote" wasted. Pets.com and you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was in that space in the <laughs> late '90s, and and when they great story around Pets.com and Super Bowl commercials, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, I think you know that influx of huge amounts of capital that individual investors saw as wasted was at individual company levels. But what it provided was this raising of the bar in terms of infrastructure so that what we know now today in terms of functionality around the internet and purchasing and websites and communications and everything, that money did not go to waste in that sense. And I think we're gonna see the same type of thing continue to happen here. Canada really did start that and um, now, the, those companies that are um, still surviving and, and, and getting towards a position where they can thrive in Canada, I think have a great opportunity to be the global leaders that the U.S. cannot um, because of our political situation. So Canada, that's removed. I do think that there's a bit of just having talked to a number of executives uh, and CEOs from Canadian companies. I still think that there's a bit of a, a surprise that the U.S. hasn't legalized yet. And so what do we do with this? Like trying to figure out what those next steps are and anticipate that because the, the trading relationships and everything are so strong there. Um, I think the whole world is trying to figure out what you do with that. Mexico is going to be the same thing when they finish their legalization, right? So yeah, we're Canada has a third in North America. Yeah, no, and it's, it's true. It's sad, but Bronze. it's not. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I love what um, 
Canada sort of decided to stand for initially to, to challenge the global conversation and really push forward, uh, I think they have an opportunity to continue to do that. Um, they just, it's, it's a role that isn't often seen there yeah. uh, at the global level. And so those executives and companies and frankly, governments that are taking that um, and running with it, I think is, are great. And I see the opportunity there for Canada to do that. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of times when, you know, new technologies emerge or new industries emerge in the beginning, they are kind of propped up. And, you know, even though maybe they're losing money, it's about grabbing that market share. And it's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of tech companies we're familiar with that aren't making money right now, but one day they will. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, somebody's got to go first. And, and uh, you're right. I think that if in the United States, the government isn't going to get it together and realize that this is a big winner on a lot of different levels and the U.S. could could lead, there will be individuals and there will be Absolutely. corporations that will run with it, even if, you know, the government is, uh, you know, sitting and on their hands. I, that is I, that is true everywhere, right? Yeah. Any of us that are in this industry, if we're waiting for the government to help us and prop us up, um, it's the wrong move. Like, I don't care what country you're in in the world. If that's your play, yeah, stop, right? And there aren't very many. It's There are some where the governments are more supportive and have a better understanding of the um, medicinal aspects of, of the plant and build structures to support that. But it's still going to be burdensome. It's always going to be overregulated. It's always going to be overtaxed. So it's really incumbent upon the entrepreneurs and the business developers and the scientists and researchers to to do their thing and get creative. Um, and I I personally love that because I think it's part of what you know is inside all of us. Part of our human spirit should be that of discovery and creation. Yeah, we're like explorers. We're, you know, we're, we're, uh, that's the hope. That's right? right. That's right. So, one more question about the international market. And then I want to switch gears real quick to events sure. because I know you know a hell of a lot about events and mm -hmm. events are very important to the cannabis space. But I was just wondering, I saw some statistics that, um, Flower is still leading the way when it comes to, you know, sales and, and what people are, are utilizing. I also saw a big jump in pre rolls. Um, that that seems to be a really big category. You know, there's there's always beverages and edibles and, you know, all these other things, but it seems like flour and pre-rolls are really, really big here in North America. Do you do you kind of see those trends being similar internationally or is it like um, different places or into behavioral, different Behavioral consumerism is similar, um, okay. but you have to remember like what's available and what's not changes everywhere. Um, and so that's not always going to be true. Um, Brightfield, uh, in partnership with Hanway Associates, did a really interesting report, uh, Q4 of 2020. I, they may have updated it uh, this year, I'm not sure, on the European markets and trends there that for, for people who really want to get you know, into the into the stats and look at it. That's a really good report to start with um, to look at. So, flour is going to, I think, always remain popular uh, for for recreational adult use, whatever you want to call that, um, depending on where you are. But mm -hmm. I think from the 
medicinal markets, you know, they're, they're not super keen on, on that. And so it does, it does change depending on where you're at. Got it. Got it. So um, let me ask you this. What have you found most surprising about the evolution of cannabis events? Um, Cause we've gone through some things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, let's be let's real. Just, we all got to start with, well, we've been through this pandemic um, yeah. and we're still going through it. Right. And sure. rather, rather than focus on the crap that mm-hmm. happened um, and the frustrations that happened in there, I, I think I'd rather focus on, but there's some good things that, that came out of this, right? So the, the emergence of technologies, mm-hmm. like what we're using today, but the ability to fuse those technologies with live events to deliver higher value and longer lasting value to attendees, to speakers, to sponsors, all of that. Um, from an event producer perspective, I think that would have taken 10 years to, to get anywhere close to what we can do now, just because we had to evolve through uh, the pandemic. And I think smart event producers will, will truly use that to create a 365 day a year experience that culminates with something in person periodically. And um, it's funny because the last public speech I gave before um, be- before the pandemic shut everything down was at yeah. a conference in Vegas for the event industry that had nothing to do with cannabis, where I was talking about keeping in touch with your attendees, sponsors, exhibitors, 365 days a year, because you can now. We have the technology. We need to do that more. And it it really delivers against the value proposition of, of what events are supposed to, to do. And then I closed with, but it's probably going to take five to 10 years for a lot of this to take hold. So I got the first part right. <laughs> I didn't anticipate the pandemic. And so now, you know, it, the future just got to us faster. Um, I'm not exactly sure, Charles, when this is going to air. So this may be like talking about the future in the past. But I'm headed to uh, Colombia this weekend uh, for Expo Cannabis in Cartagena, um, and I'm I'm excited to to get down there and be in person. And of course, there's a lot of hoops that we all have to jump through now for safety protocols and that kind of thing. Um, but seeing that as you know an opportunity to talk to GCNC members in person is amazing and wonderful. I'm excited about that, but I'm also very grateful that without the technology that we've developed over the last year, they probably wouldn't be members yet. Mm. Like it's that communication that we've had that has accelerated the relationship building process through technology that now can culminate in face-to-face meetings at events with people I now already have met and have a business relationship with. That's much better than showing up to the cocktail party and going, yeah, there's a hundred people here and I don't know any of them. Let's go do that. Um, So I I do like the inversion. I think we're going to see similar types of behavior just at a larger scale at MJ BizCon, for example, coming up um, in, in October. Yeah. And um, you know, I should also plug emerge. Emerge has been great. 
at bringing together a lot of content uh, from places that it would probably be hard to get that many speakers delivering that much content uh, all in person. Uh, and so the, the virtual conferences you've been putting on in the, in the creative platform you've been building them in has been great. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And I think that you're absolutely right. You know, I, you and I talked about this before, like, why weren't they live streaming speakers or, you know, have a have a paywall where you could be at home and you could watch the session, um, you know, if you couldn't go to an event, you know, I think the pandemic sort of forced that technology forward, those kind of hybrid type events, I think we'll start seeing a lot more of those. Um, I was just at the uh, the cannabis conference in Vegas yeah. uh, a few weeks ago, and I think everybody wasn't really sure what to expect. But overall, like the people were, you know, on, on the floor, the people that were at that event, they were really um, happy with the turnout, I'm, with I'm the sure. amount of, yeah, with the amount of, you know, like, like exhibitors and sponsors, they want leads. And I talked to a lot of people, they were like, Hey, you know, I've already gotten five great leads and, and it just, you know, it wasn't a huge event, um, but it was a really well done. The, the content was great. And I can tell you the sponsors were, you know, pretty happy by, by talking to them and being there uh, with cannabis and tech today. And something I thought was interesting, the pricing for that event, you know, it, it wasn't a cheap event to attend, but yeah. the the virtual to attend it virtually only was three hundred and ninety nine dollars, mm -hmm. and I like that. I like <laughs> the fact that you, you know like that I, as an event producer or as yes. an attendee. <laughs> that is great. You know what I mean? Holding their water, like holding that value and yeah. letting people know that, hey, listen, you know, it's not just a freebie. It's not just a throw in. This is this is truly a premium. This is this is part of the experience. I really yeah. like that. I think that they set the bar, you know, for really good professional events, a virtual side of it to not just be a, a throwaway, a throw, you know, just a, yeah. I've always, I've always advocated for that. I, I mean, I've talked to people, there's two, there's two points on the supply demand curve that makes sense, right? One is high volume of people at a low price or lower volume of people at a high price. And the, the um, variable that then drives that upper part of the of the supply demand curve is value, right? So it, the only way that's gonna work for a producer is if they deliver the value against the price point. Mm -hmm. And then what a small number of attendees is defined as actually becomes um, just relative to the value. And so being able to produce these uh, events at those price points. It's very environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. It ensures that the people who do go in person are actually the ones that are serious. Because if you can have some of your staff attend virtually at a lower price point and, you know, the CEO and your lead cultivator or something can go in person, you're going to do that. And because you're going to want to meet other people, you know, in that same space. And I love that. And I think yeah. we will continue to see that grow. Um, you know, the GCNC event network has events all over the world that are part of our organization and um, they're all different sizes and I love them all for different reasons. Um, but the key to them being in the GCNC event network is they don't do bad work. Mm. They provide value, uh, whatever price point it's at. Um, you know, they have a track record of being successful for the people that attend. 
Um, and, and so that, you know, is worth promoting and, and celebrating and helping them out with. It's a really good point. Yeah. You know, you, uh, you kind of eliminate the, the looky sees, you know, the, the tire kickers, you know, that, yeah. that sometimes make it look like a really busy event and you, you kind of thin, thin it down to people that are serious about doing business kind of gives everybody a, a better experience. Yeah. And th there is a place, I mean, you have to provide a place for people to explore and mm -hmm. kick the tires. Like that is fair uh, and should be done, but there for most companies, once you're past that initial phase, you really want to move quickly out of tire kicking and into money-making and quality products and, you know, doing whatever your, your mission is. So um, you got to create those funnels well. And some events have, has, have done, you know, pretty well at that. Those that just stay at that level will have a lot of people, they'll make some money. Um, they won't be part of my network, but it doesn't mean they're bad, right? Yeah. It just means that's not hitting on the same audience that, that I am, so. Well, we're almost out of time, but I've got one more uh, question for you. Sure. Um, we've, we've uh, over here, we've got five different magazines we do in the tech space and some of the big shows that we have, have had recently in the smart home space, uh, outdoor retailer, they have been approximately 20% to 25% of what the shows normally are. I mean, uh, big anchors. 20% down out. or yeah, 20%? down, down, down. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so way smaller, um, uh, the big anchor companies pulling out, uh, due to COVID, um, attendance being down. I mean, I mean, that's a, that's a huge, significant amount to be down when in the cannabis space, we're super excited to be coming back and, you know, MJ biz and everything like that. Do you think that the cannabis industry is just more risk tolerant, or do you think that the events are more, um, you know, important to getting business done because of regulation. I'm just curious why you think the cannabis events are, you know, looking like they're doing pretty well, knock on wood yeah. and, and good attendance and good feedback. Whereas some of these other ones, you know, they're a shell of their former selves. Yeah. Well, I, I think we all know the cannabis industry has a higher tolerance for risk. Yes. I mean, now that, um, that I don't think necessarily that's business risk. I don't think that necessarily translates to, Hey, I want to put my health at risk and all of that. Right. So there's a lot, two different things. Um, I, I do think people are excited to come back. I do think that we are trending down from where we were historically. When you look at events worldwide, mm -hmm. um, but I think we are currently more resilient because if you look at the rate of expansion of the market worldwide, you have the ability to still have so many sort of newer companies and newer players coming in that it can make up for some of those who may have been there before. And they're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go this year. So I do think there's, there's some variables in the cannabis space, which are helping uh, the events to not take quite as large hits. Uh, it'll be interesting to see when we get to Las Vegas, right? Mm -hmm. How that all plays out. I know if you look at the floor map online, which is public information, like it's pretty impressive, right? And two yeah. halls, lots of people registered. Um, we're hosting a small uh, sort of C-suite connector event um, in Vegas to help our members kick off that week. And I have had no problem at all, um, you know, uh, 
attracting people to attend. Um, there's a lot of health questions that I have to answer. It's why sure. I've got an indoor outdoor venue for it and all that kind of thing. But um, I, I think there is resilience there. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have to talk after I come back from Cartagena word from Cartagena is that, you know, it's doing pretty well. Expo cannabis is doing pretty well as well. Um, and I know several folks who have sent me notes over the last week, just saying, yeah, I decided to go, um, because I, I need the connection and I need to build the business. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, Vegas, uh, kudos to them, tip of the cap to Vegas. They were very strict about masks indoors. Um, I think that if they want to keep this thing rolling there and continue to have events, you know, all the the casinos and really the whole community, uh, they have embraced masks inside like they do not play around. You know, if you try walking around through that casino, somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder and be like, put your mask on. So they really did have good practices around the cannabis conference and, you know, the the uh, surrounding venues. So, I mean, yeah, that is shifted. I mean, they had to educate the hard way there for a little bit because I was there a couple months ago doing um, some pre-event work and it it was not like that. Ah. And I know they recently changed the rules uh, to be more restrictive. Uh, my wife and daughters are headed to a concert in Vegas while I'm in Colombia, and they got a whole series of emails about safety protocols. They've got to, you know, send in their vaccine cards and all that kind of thing. So, um, regardless of how you feel about vaccines or anything else, like I will tell people all day long, I'm very supportive. I encourage everybody to do it. Um, but the fact that, you know, they have taken those steps, that had to be gut-wrenching decision for some people yeah. um, because, you know, we're talking about conscious capitalism here. Yeah, Vegas is really capitalism. Like, that's what they do. Yeah. So they had to make some decisions based purely on that. And I think the fact that they did come in with such more strict protocols over the last month really says, hey, now it's not only good for your health, but it's smart business to take care of yourself. They had their biggest month on record, I believe the casinos did in July. Um, so they really are, you know, coming back. And I'll tell you, being there, I didn't see a lot of people bitching and, and whining about, you know, having to wear masks. Like everybody was like, we know this is the deal, you know, like it was, it just, it was a pretty, it was a pretty smooth operation all the way around. And it was, it was encouraging. Yeah, stay out of the social media silos, right? And you realize that the vast majority of folks are okay with it. And those who aren't, um, I mean, that's their choice, of course. But, um, you know, that's also a choice of the businesses to to protect themselves. Yeah. I mean, they say 20% of the world's against everything all the time. So that applies. In we're, we're laying this out in yeah, right? terms. Statistics days, for right? you. Yeah. Well, Chris, I, I always feel like I get so much smarter when I talk to you. Uh, it has been a pleasure. Um, do you want to give the audience uh, a quick plug or where they can find out more about you or the GCNC or, or your event that's coming up at MJ Biz? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I'm very easy to find uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, all of those social platforms. Uh, you can always email me at chris.day at alwaysdriveinnovation.com. And um, I mentioned the website for the GCNC er- earlier. It's alwaysdriveinnovation.com forward slash cannabis. Um, we're going to actually be uh, doing international cannabis conversation podcast recording for about nine solid hours in Vegas. Um, so that'll be exciting. And for members who want to, um, 
join us for that event in the Las Vegas Arts District on October 20th, uh, they can just reach out to me. And for those who aren't members yet, you can join and still get to the party. So uh, it should be a good, it should be a great week. I'm excited about it. Um, and I'm also looking forward to seeing people at Expo Cannabis in Cartagena, at Cannabis Salud in Mexico near the end of the year. And of course, always at your conferences with Emerge. Absolutely. And we're excited to be a part of it. Excited to see everybody with Cannabis and Tech today. And uh, just really appreciate you coming on board and sprinkling us with some of these jewels on the international market. And, you know, appreciate you driving innovation on the international side. Happy to do it. It's fun. And it's really the companies that are members that are driving that in um, innovation. We just happen to be a nice hub for people to come and hang out and talk about it and share knowledge. So it's great. Thanks for the invite, Charles. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And for those listening right now, uh, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. If you liked it, uh, go ahead and hit the like button, share, make sure you subscribe. And of course, follow the conversation on social media. We got a lot of good content going out there on Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, you know, all those places right there. And until next time, we'll see you on another episode of Cannabis Tech Talks, and we'll catch you later. 